Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly uh, my guest today, Mr. Anthony Twig Wheeler. Something that you didn't know, Richard, I've been for 20 years practicing the uh, what we call experimental archaeology. It means learning how to make fire without matches, all of the ancestral living skills. So how to live in the forest without stuff, how to um, make a bed out of things that you uncover in the woods and be comfortable at it. Wow. Is that applied human ecologist? Applied human ecologist. Thank you for adding that. And is that, is that what led you to, you built your own home, am I correct? Solar home? I did. I built an earthship home in the uh, mountains of Washington state. So that's a tire rammed earth into used car tires used as bricks that are then creating a kind of passive solar eco, you know, low intensity, efficient house up in the mountains. Yeah. And a really quick kind of segue question, Twig, with the experiences you have, have you ever considered going on any of those, you know, like naked and afraid shows or something like that? That's the top of the yeah. list, Peter. Yeah, that's right. You had to yeah, go straight to me. A, a number of my friends have have like uh, long lasting on Lost and such, and you know, I I, um, I don't have that ambition. No. Uh-huh. No. Well, Although, what if it was know, just? I, I will say, throughout my extreme activities, I would really take to. Uh, being alone in the wilderness, cold and hungry, and having set forth some kind of challenge that would really take a lot out of me. And, you know, I just, I would never do anything like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You've healed. Yeah. <laughs> so, some, some part of me is like, I would take friends. <laughs> I, would, I would take friends with me. I want to go alone. <laughs> so then what about something like Survivor, where you don't have to be naked and there's people? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Maybe so. Although, you know, I actually have never even seen that show. Wow. Wow. We'll have to, we'll have to make it, make it a date and watch a show together. That's, that's a a pastime of of mine in my house. Yeah. Oh, wow. Then you have to be socially. We'll go outside and make a fire. (laughs) You see, thank you. That's what I need to learn. That's (laughs) someone going to teach me the skills. Then, then I'll be okay. It'll be a good trade, but we're not here to talk about reality TV. (laughs) Okay. But I thought it was just a fun thing to find out since you had those skills. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what yeah. led you to get into human ecology? Were you raised um, with that kind of knowledge or exploring the woods or around nature? No, I wasn't. I was raised in front of a television playing Nintendo until two or three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it um, was it Pac-Man or yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, you know, Donkey back Kong? back in my highlight was Metroid. I think that's what really had me for a long time. A bit further on than Pac-Man, I guess. So it helped get the coordination for some of nature skills. <laughs> but on on a most positive way of looking at it, Richard. Yes. <laughs> Got a most positive way of looking at it. Um I had a very rough spell in my teenage years with a very bad fella, and I got away from that. And in getting away, I found myself living with my father, who had by then moved to Washington State. And so that put me on the backside of a group of mountains that gave me an opportunity to kind of go work, not out, but work with uh, some PTSD that I had collected in that time with that bad fella. So that kind of put me toward nature as a place to... uh, get away from a lot of negative feelings that I had about society and, uh, and the things that happen in it. Wow. So when you talk about, you know, trauma and, and, and resiliency and things like that, did you, was this your own exploration or did, was your father or anyone else a teacher and kind of showing you the ways of the woods? And, uh... Mm. uh, no, my, my father did open a lot of doorways for that, but, um, actually sometime in my, 19, 20 years old, I got a hold of some of those ideas like books and uh, Tom Brown books and things about like living out. And I was with a number of people who said, hey, we should learn how to do these things and learn how to live on the land without having to take a whole backpack worth of a store with us to go out into the wilderness and feel safe and comfortable. And I started doing classes and going to what we call primitive skills gatherings where across the West, actually throughout the U.S. and and internationally now, but started 30 years ago in the Intermountain West in Idaho and Arizona, where we bring practitioners together to teach all kinds of skills on how to tan deer hides, how to track animals, how to make fire in adverse conditions. Are you you still doing those classes today or offering them? I do. I do. Yes. This February, I'll be in Arizona at the Winter Count Gathering. I'll be teaching many of the things that we talk about here today. I suspect we're going to talk about the nervous system. I teach those in a wilderness context at the Winter Count Gathering. I do the same thing, say, at the Buckeye Gathering. That'll happen uh, at the foot of Mount Shasta this May. And then in September, the rabbit stick gathering, which is where it all started, that happens in Rexburg, Idaho. I'll be there teaching as well. Wow. Wow. And where are you based yeah. out of, Twig? My my home is in the Methow Valley in Washington State, which is on the east slope of the Cascade Mountains. So I kind of look out over the Cascade Mountains in a small mountain valley of good people living close to the world. Wow, beautiful up there and 
there's probably a lot of people, if there's anyone listening on in the Washington state area, they could probably use some good insights from you today after what happened with the Amtrak train. Not to bring yeah, the show somber, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's been that's been on my mind throughout the day as well. Yeah. Well, should we get into the fires or should we get into Actually, like yeah. let's kind of go the somatic experiencing route because we're all you always kind of tantalize us with little nuggets of what it's about. And now we've got an opportunity here to hear two, you know, people steeped in somatic experiencing to kind of riff on that. Well, what I love about the topic and uh, is that it is highly individualized to the person who's learning its experience and their own nervous system and what they bring to it. So I'm like equal when I hear Twig talk about his experiences, it's like learning an entirely different subject matter in a way um, because it's so highly personal in how we apply it to ourselves and then how we teach it and, and how we resonate to it. So I'm was really thrilled to get to spend time with Twig in the past week and then he made time out of his busy schedule um, and when he started to talk to me about now early life getting into some extreme sports, and we know this is a, a growing thing, especially amongst millennials, although it's probably been going on for a longer time, uncovered by cameras of people uh, before right. wingsuits and Red Bull, right? <laughs> people who were jumping from snowy hill to snowy hill. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, that's right, yeah. You know, for us New York boys, it was just snow football, you know, run five feet and tackle each other. But but can you tell us a little about that, how you got into some of the extreme sports and or, or just in general your own exploration of somatic experience and how you've learned mm-hmm. about it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I can tell you, I didn't have to I didn't have to get into extreme sports. I just did extreme things. <laughs> Right, like I'm you know, if I I'm the same thing. I, I'm yeah, yeah, that's extreme things. Yeah. extreme things find me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, me and me and extreme things. We're just this, like, and now that's not the case anymore. I have to say, I don't feel that way. I do still kind of take pleasure in activation, like the feeling of aliveness and doing something and focus and intensity and driving in on something. But I used to be, I would say, just clearly just addicted to it. I probably would have a sincere and significant and probably noticeable depression if I didn't push myself into some high, excitable, extreme state. I was a political activist um, that gave me a lot of opportunity to be very angry and very intense um yeah i was gonna say too bad there's nothing going on in politics right now to get angry about right yeah yeah that's right and i was i was doing that 20 years ago at a time when uh you know it it was there were plenty of things to be mad about there were there are we have a terrible state in the world plenty of things to be mad about i i was easily found on the more extreme side of unresolvable on how to relate to it you know i i, I was a very tense kind of person so you and, mentioned uh, the, the term you know activation which is really big in somatic sp- experience about understanding this need for like adrenaline rush um and being drawn towards it and then without it not knowing what to feel or to feel anything so yeah, yeah. how did you learn to address that or that there was something in that that maybe 
was out of balance? Or, or what would you say to people who are kind of stuck in that, that cycle? Or even to add to that, was there a specific moment that you kind of had that realization? Because listening to what everybody's kind of contributing here, there was a very defined moment where I kind of was like, well, yeah, why do I am seeking this feeling? Because it's so said often, it's all about the journey, but you really have to, I don't know, you have to get through to a place in your life or an experience to really kind of I don't know, really believe that statement that it is about the journey and take it day by day and moment by moment instead of the next big thing, right? Right. Yeah, all of that. All of that, you guys. It's like all there. Um, Probably no one single moment for me, but I think we could lump it all together as like when my life completely fell apart and my physiology gave out and I was diagnosed with cancer and PTSD in the same kind of three month period as the partner who had been helping to hold my kind of high intensity, I would say craziness together said, you know, this is enough for me and I'm not going to help you anymore unless you go get help. And when I went to go get help, she said, okay, I'm going to go have a better life than, than I'm going to find with your Mm. quasi insanity. And so in kind of like working on that for a few months, not being, a stupid person, but definitely being a blind person to the fact that I needed some real help. I needed some real help. I uh, then ended up at this uh, somatic experiencing thing. Yeah. Who, and, who did you Who did you meet with, or was there a seminar, or was it coincidence, or did you seek it? I was in a bodywork class. I was seeking some relief. I was studying bodywork because I couldn't trust anybody, so I was kind of going to the school. So I could kind of like work on myself. I couldn't actually just go to a therapist, which is what I'd recommend now. I'd just say, oh, just go to a good therapist. So I went to the school and the teacher held up Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger. And she said, if you want to know why the mind-body connection is a real thing, just read this book and you'll understand how it all works. And I immediately went to the bookstore after class and bought the book and sat up all night reading Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma by Peter Levine. And as I got into it and I'm reading about how the nervous system works in relationship to dangerous events and what the nervous system anticipates in order to be able to settle after dangerous events and what happens if the nervous system doesn't get those signals that allow it to settle and what that then kind of causes the nervous system to accumulate stress and accumulate the instructions of self-protection and survival. And when those aren't alleviated, then the nervous system of a person like myself walks around the world kind of feeling like things are really intense all the time. And in reading his book that night, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. (laughs) I'm stuck on all the time or I'm flipping from being stuck on to being turned off and I have no range in the middle. And of course, it then took, you know, a good six months a year to get involved and invested and get some help to where I got any sort of relief. And then it was a good, I had a lot, I had a lot of work to do. So it took me several years before I really like started to slow down. My nervous system stopped having so much accumulated stress and I started to have freer attention and I could decide whether or not I wanted to be extreme about things or not. Wow. Dr. Richard talks about that book all the time. Yeah, it is kind of the the holy grail of somatic experiencing and 
and certainly, uh, I'm sorry, I missed Peter. He was in town, Los Angeles, uh, this past weekend. So mm. that, that's something I look forward to doing in the near future is, uh, watching his really, uh, gentle stewardship of helping, uh, I noticed you also, even while you're speaking to us, the hands are kind of signaling the down regulation of the system or putting up boundaries, right? It's really like integrated into your body. So I wonder, you know, like, and then this led to, you know, led to you having a a one-man show where you actually demonstrate the body's physiological responses. Um, Yeah. Was that a calling? How did that come to you in your evolution of your process? In 2008 and 2009, I was traveling in the Democratic Republic of Congo on two separate trips. And I was there sharing somatic experiencing guidelines to a social justice movement that was taking place out in the communities that had been affected by the Second Congolese War. It was a really tremendous, terrible thing. And these people that I was working with were putting together this remarkable movement of self-sufficiency helping the communities take care of themselves better. And they said, oh, wow, we have a major problem. We're unable to talk to people about this issue of rape and like violence that's continuing in the communities because everybody gets shut down when we have the conversation. So they ended up looking out into the world and step by step, they found me and they brought me to Congo and I travel around with these people and I watched how they were working with the communities and they weren't coming in as experts as much as they were coming in as storytellers. They called themselves cultural animators. Mm. And their task was to animate the culture into sharing the stories inside the culture that everybody had to help them solve their own problems, but that they weren't sharing amongst themselves. They were kind of looking for an expert opinion rather than, kind of saying, well, what do you know and what do I know and what can we put together there? Watching them do that, and I was already somewhat um, reluctant to join kind of like a really professional track, like, a, excuse me, Richard, the PhD thing. I <laughs> I have to commend it to you. What an effort. I don't, th- I don't, I didn't have it. You know, I just didn't have it. It was, it was a slog. <laughs> it's a slog. I think friend, my learning you know? has begun afterwards, I think. It was yeah. some... So I, you know, and I looked at that and I said, that's not really for me. I'm a kind of colloquial person. I'm a, I'm, I don't want to be a big expert guy. I don't want to be that. I want to be like everybody else. I'm, I'm a trauma survivor. So in but for all you kids out there, stay in school. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. There you go. All right. Enough, Mr. Right. T. I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> so I came back from Congo and I said, how can I do the same thing? How can I talk to my culture? in a way that animates people without it being presented as like the expert opinion. And I said, well, you know, I could at least to start with, I could take my story of essentially living through my teens and my twenties in extreme PTSD and it really driving me to bad ends by the time I'm 30 years old, where I'm just completely suicidal or homicidal and at the edge of my well-being all the time never ever settling and um you know i i was helped so dramatically by peter levine by stephen hoskinson his one of peter levine's protégés who's now gone on to create organic intelligence who i understudied with and a number of other practitioners and just the fact the simple fact that our nervous systems have 
an organized pattern of response to threat. When you drop something and you jump out of the way before it hits your foot, that is part of the nervous system responding to help you not be hurt by that any more than like just to, as best as it can, your body is trying to help you. Well, when it tries to help you, it creates instructions that try to make you get out of the way of danger, to respond to danger, all kinds of nuances to that. But in any case, you don't choose what you do in the midst of a dangerous circumstance. You respond involuntarily. And that involuntary message to do this can easily be fixated in the nervous system as something that still needs to happen if after the danger, you don't get the necessary signals that say, it's okay, it's not gonna happen again. There's gonna be more time. We'll make sure nothing else bad happens to you. Nothing like that happened in my right. childhood. Like right. it just bad stuff, another bad thing. By the time I finally got some help, I was like, I could just tell people my story about how these sessions unfolded inside my body and how much easier it is for me to be at ease here. And that would be a way to talk to the culture. So that's how that story, Stories of Completion, came into existence. Oh, and that language translates across uh, addiction and, and extreme sports or other extreme behaviors um you know there's other types of therapies trying to address uh, cutting and things like that that are going on uh with teenagers but having been a former crisis responder it seems to be like there's a lot more cries out there for regulation and understanding emotional uh expression and um not really having a language as especially yeah. cultures become uh intersected and people are looking for ways to notice when is it safe to calm down what where where is that medium what where are those signals coming from right so, yeah well i think that's one of the really valuable things about what peter levine has done what stephen porges of the polyvagal theory which is an important part of the work out there but just to name that there has been some extremely valuable scientific and therapeutic work in the last 20 or 30 years that has radically improved our understanding of how to signal safety to the nervous system in a way that helps people to calm down. And um, I didn't have that as a kid. My parents didn't have that. That evil guy that I was talking about that I had this kind of thing with in my childhood, like he didn't have any of that. And we all just kind of got in this thing. And if I hadn't found that Peter had found this to help me calm down, I'd still be there. Wow. I'd, I'd still be a mess. I'd be, I'd be a drug addict. I'd be, I, I, it would be terrible. It'd be terrible. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to Injitsu.com slash Richard Listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouthguards, protecting athletes 
in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouthguard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens and if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. So what's the best thing we can do, Twig? You know, all our listeners out there, right? We talk a lot in the somatic experience about interrupting certain automatic patterns. Uh, some people may see it a little rude when we just cut someone off out of the blue. But how do we break these automatic patterns that we notice happening in our culture or amongst our friends when you see someone kind of reactivating the, the trauma vortex or, or staying in the fight or flight mode? Mm, wow, that's a good one. Uh, you know, in that we mentioned just in passing, there's this stressless series that I have out there. It's an audio series that I created for the public radio, actually, the local radio station during one of these big wildfires that were happening in my community some years back. And that's out there on the internet. And one of the things that I talk about in there is what do you do? You've been in this stressful thing for two weeks. The fire's going, you're always paying attention to the news. You don't know what's going to happen. It's very stressful. And now you're hanging out with a friend. Hopefully you're hanging out because you want to kind of feel better with each other. But now one of you starts talking about all the danger related to the last two weeks. And it just, keeps the activation it keeps the nervous system getting this message that something is wrong and i can't rest down and it, it's challenging because you don't want to be rude and say like you know we've had enough of that <laughs> right that would be dangerous to them right like you can't talk about the thing you're trying to talk about i know better than you that's challenging as well so let's do this at least let's name this if you're always reiterating on stress, if you're always getting a signal of something dangerous, and that could come from a thought, it could come from a memory, it could come from things that are happening around you, it could come from your environment. That's, that's really where it mostly comes down to. When you have enough safety that you're not immediately in it, becomes incredibly important to give your body, your mind, your attention, something else to pay attention to other than only fixating or repeating and reiterating the signal that says something's dangerous because that really affects our heart rate. It affects our breath. It affects our nervous system. It affects our thinking. It affects our decision-making that goes on long too long. All of those things will degrade. And really, you know, we, we need to be able to make better decisions. So, at the very least, let's all know that we don't want to swim in the negative worry all the time. As soon as we're safe enough not to be having to respond to it actively, ideally we're going to, I don't know, take two minutes, think of something else, do something else, do an activity that you like to do. That was a really important comment that you made, Richard, like that we take time to do things that we still care to do like fantasy football <laughs> thank you i feel validated yeah. <laughs> you know it, you know it's terrible and it makes it's me like, feel better think, now too yeah right exactly peter you know the there's challenge we have to be able to respond to the challenge at the same time if you're always reiterating repeating on the challenge you'll just wear yourself out we don't need caitlin that. i imagine this 
speaks to what's on your mind. Oh my gosh, yes. No, and I wanted to introduce and say, well, what if somebody out there can't pinpoint? Maybe it's a the subconscious thinking that's causing their stress or their anxiety and you know, they've been through, you know, maybe a situation causing them to, you know, have PTSD and they, they can't even acknowledge or really pinpoint what it is that's causing this anxiety or the stressor. Then, you know, what's your advice to those people out there? If there's not something specific that's in the front of their mind, maybe it's, you know, something a little bit more covered up. Mm. Uh, well, let's say that the, the context and the condition that you just mentioned is a kind of an accumulated state. It's like, this has been happening to me. This is bothering me. This is taking over my life. This is something that is going to take me time and effort and attention to do something about. I'm not going to have the kind of distress that you describe where it becomes just like, I don't know. I just feel off all the time. And then, oh, if I could just find the one thing. If I knew that one thing is causing this, I would somehow like magically make that transition and change no, won't happen that way. It'll be much more like you get involved in a process where you learn some of these skills that I hear as I listen to Richard Listens, where he drops in these little tips about like helping your body to settle before performance. We can look out there for Peter Levine's work and healing trauma, waking the tiger. We can look at the stressless series that I have out there. There's a ton of information that's really growing out there that says your nervous system is organized in this way. These are the signals that tell your body, like being able to feel the perimeter of your body, touching surfaces, maybe the back, maybe your legs. If that's somehow pleasurable or somehow connecting to you, enjoy that or give that a little bit of value to your attention to help your body, your brain, know a bit more of where the boundary of your body is so it's not just so floaty all the time. There are all these language things that we would want to learn how to invest in learning how to pay attention to our organisms better. And the conditions that you mentioned are the kind of thing that I would say, what would I recommend? I'd recommend that you take note of the fact that you're uncomfortable and it probably doesn't have to stay that way. And if you were to avail yourself of some of the very accessible resources out there, you could learn better how to help yourself and help other people who are around you to calm your nervous system down better rather than one trick won't be possible but like richard says it's a kind of personalized thing here and if we learn how to talk to our organisms talk to our bodies have other people talk to our bodies and calm us down that's valuable to learn how to do yeah, it's really interesting because someone was asking me earlier about my my basketball playing days, and 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 they were saying, well, does, didn't you you know kind of resolve a lot of your stress through through your basketball? And I don't think I had this awareness then. I think basketball was like war, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we often talk about you know the stress was being discharged, but it was like laying a minefield around me. So you know, regularly a day later, the people who played with me on my own team and others would be like, you know, you. <laughs> Do you do you remember who you were 12 hours ago? You know, so I wasn't really resolving tra- trauma or stress. I was, in fact, creating <laughs> new enemies and new battles <laughs> to work yeah. through them. So we know yeah, it's a kind of a therapy term of reenactment. Maybe I need to see who my enemies are externally. But internally, I wasn't settling. In fact, for hours after, I would be experiencing much more inflammation and stress. So it's kind of a disembodied experience. So now... You know, this kind of awareness brings me back into, I want to be 
in touch with enjoying my experience of using my body to uh, reset. I want to try and do yeah. things that I'm getting sent sense of exhilaration, but also calmness at the end of it um, to reduce stress and not keep accumulating. Right. Exactly. Like uh, I, I work out, I work out in order to like relieve my stress. And then I'm just completely wiped from having worked out and kind of run all my re- restorative juices out by having spent everything. It's, um, and that's a common done. phenomenon with it's, athletes, it's adrenal exhausting. fatigue. It's yeah. 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 It's, it's a exhausting and, you know, let's, let's like, let's jump ahead as though the culture is trauma informed and let's jump ahead and say, oh, wow, we looked back and saw how much we were working and how much extra we were doing in order to just kind of stay in place. And we decided we were, we were going to slow down some of that. What? wow, what would we find out? We'd find out that we have a, an organism, a body that's developed by evolution on this planet that has a ton of cycles and a ton of rhythms in it that if they get to excite themselves and then settle, if they get to be used and then rest and restore, that we're actually remarkably resilient creatures for doing all kinds of creative stuff, but then also doing all kinds of challenging stuff and then getting away from the challenge back to a sense of safety and then being able to settle again. It's kind of like our biology is just waiting for us to give it more credit. And then it will actually work more on our behalf rather than against us all the time because we've overused it. I love that you said that too. And then Richard had just said, you know, hit the reset button. And I, I definitely, when I was a competitive power lifter and bodybuilder, I mean, I couldn't be, I had to be extreme all the time. And it, <laughs> Do you have only, one of those iPhone uh, gifts that does that? <laughs> and not only that yeah. though, it's, you know, my travel schedule was crazy, but I would never let a day go by where I didn't get that workout regimen in because that was what I had to do. And it just, I completely burned out because I was flying on airplanes. I'm trying to eat right. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to do my training. And then I would just I found myself in this cycle of getting sick and run down. And then I couldn't work out until like my body completely shut down and said, no, like you're not physically able to do anything. And so now here I am years later and I am so much better at listening to my body. So I don't have to like go all the way, you know, to the wall until I stop. And I think we live in a society and a culture where like more and more and more or like this need that we have to exceed you know, what we did before, but that doesn't create, you know, a healthy living or healthy lifestyle at all. It just, you know, you kind of go through this cycle of like, I'm going, 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 going until like my body forces me to stop. And then I have to reset and start over when, you know, we can just find that balance to take care and listen to our bodies and be healthy. Whereas, you know, for example, this week I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I haven't worked out in like two or three days, which is mentally killing me. But like, I know that if I do work out, I'm going to be sicker longer. I'm not going to get well. And it's just going to be more time for me to heal where, you know, maybe a few years ago, I still would have went to the gym every day and just tell myself, I'm just going to sweat it out. I'm just going to work it out. No, that's not how it works. Your body will respond and kind of shut down. So I, I love that you said that. You're abs- you, you name you name like uh, physical reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like uh, it's not it's not because you're a failure. It's, you know, it's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you don't care enough. You don't have enough passion. You're not you're not trying like the other people are. There are limits. We live 
And, right, and, and I, I want to live on a planet with limits where I get to test myself against those limits and find out what I can do and then feel good afterwards rather than feel destroyed at and then feel somehow like I failed at going beyond what I like I'm some kind of machine or something. No. So you, you're speaking to like the reality of our organisms on this planet. Mm hmm. Yeah. So what's one thing you've learned to do to, to settle and reset yourself when you're on, you know, speaking and healing others? What's one thing you've learned to do to kind of reconcile your own nervous system? Um, let's see. I, I have a whole series of things, but w one thing that I'll say here now that comes to mind first. I have learned to be able to notice what activation looks like when it's happening. Whereas in the past, I was just activated all the time. And my only variation or difference was when I was activated or when I was kind of like comatose because I kind of used it all up, you know, like go, go, go. And now I'm down. So like my window of like, this is different than that was really, it wasn't very nuanced at all. Now I'll be like, well, I was getting ready for this interview today, this conversation that we're having. Of course, that's that's arousing, that's activating. So as I'm going through the day, there are cycles of that coming through. And I would say that over the years, one of the primary things that somatic experiencing helped me to do was to become aware of what happens for me when my body, when my nervous system, when I start to get aroused, start to feel excited or activated. And then being able to track that, oh, my chest gets tighter. Oh, my belly gets a little bit like butterfly or, oh, you know, my throat gets a little constricted. By being able to notice the range of that rather than waiting until it's all accumulated and now it's all so much, I feel like I'm speechless and I can't breathe and I can't move and I just should have waited. By being able to follow the trail and catch that, oh, wow, this is me getting excited about this. I can then kind of pause what I'm doing and give my body some time, a little bit of space, I don't know, to move, to sing, to uh, move my, like relax certain muscles in my face that we know to be related to the calming system or to look around at the world to what we'd call orient to help the part of the nervous system that helps us to kind of like take in the world in a free manner where our head and neck and the eyes are free to look around mm -hmm. has a tendency to slow down the heart rate because of the way our nervous system is working. So as I feel myself getting activated, as I'm coming toward an event or something like this, I'll track that sequence. And as I'm getting there before it's too much, I'm like taking some time to look around, to feel, move, and then notice, and this is one of the beautiful things, to be able to start to notice what are the signs of my body settling. An easier, more spontaneous breath, easier flexibility in my neck, clearer uh, visual field, being able to feel more of my body or feel things that aren't only the things that we're feeling uncomfortable so that other things start to show up in my attention, all signs of deactivation. And to give those credit, to be like, this is worth my time. I'm going to be on in 10 minutes. I'm going to be on in two hours. I'm going to be on in five hours. I'm going to be on next week. It's worth my time right now to figure out, oh, that's a deactivation sign. Oh, I should go ahead and let my body settle. I'm probably going to feel a little shaky or trembly. 
or a little nauseous maybe, or a little fluttery, might feel a little bit of like vibration or something as the activation that was getting going starts to discharge and settle. I want to let that happen. Totally want to let that happen so that as I settle, I might have another round, might have multiple other rounds, might be a big deal, might have this all week long, but rather than just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm just taking on all this activation and I'm going to act like a Zen master. When the moment finally comes, I, I, that never works for me. I just get overactivated. So learning how to ride those activation cycles is I, I think of a, a, a central theme of what's helped me from somatic experiencing. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's some yeah. great stuff. I usually, I try and bring my clients back to their feet because I notice when things are getting a little tougher, yeah. <laughs> the feet start yeah. to take off like an airplane coming off. So <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. do it for myself too. Yeah. You just start, you notice yourself leaving the body and, yeah. uh, and a real gift that I learned from uh, somatic experience was work coming home from working in Skid Row is to get out of the car and to give at least 10 minutes to just kind of, even if I only moved 30 feet of actual space on the street, my head just would look at trees. My arms would kind of just, uh, yeah, let out some of that energy from, uh, skid row. And I could kind of then start breathing again before yeah. colliding with the next challenge. Uh, so we've before. got like, uh, yeah. about five minutes left of the show, actually about four minutes. So in the spirit of wrapping up, we haven't really touched base on the fire situation and stuff. So Dr. Richard and Twig, maybe you guys could just speak to, uh, you know, some advice for the people that are going through the wildfires in Southern California here still and give a couple bits of, of advice for them. Well, is the, is the stressless series something that's easily accessible and that would um, give some, some tips to go over recovery from trauma or... Um, yeah, kind of that, that actually is my most solid offering. Um, it's a it's a kind of thing to accompany people who are in an ongoing stressor that's lasting an undefined amount of time. Like with wildfires, one of the things is that we don't know how long they'll last. And that makes it so it's hard to just simply do what you want to do to respond to it and feel the satisfaction of being able to respond because the nature of the danger is ever changing and, and that creates certain dynamics in the nervous system that make it so like we want to take all of this imagery that we see like this and make sure that we get space to be like okay that's not the only thing i'm going to pay attention to for days and weeks and months on end because like like caitlin was just saying um it's going to pull it's going to just Pull that nervous system activation up all the time until we're going to hit a wall and that'll make it very hard to recover. So when an, a stressor is an ongoing kind of thing, we want to be able to like, okay, if I can get to enough safety away from this, you want to take some time pulling in some of the basic safety signals. That's company with other people that you know, like, and trust. If you don't know them, that you at least realize that they're not dangerous to you and that their presence is an accompaniment that makes it so that your nerve feels safer. So to be around people, to not only reiterate on the danger, essentially to not only watch the news, but also to do other things that you found in your to be valid and it's a very central thing. And then to keep some activity going so that in the sense of, I'm just waiting for others to be able to solve this problem even if it's doing the dishes, 
even if it's doing small lightweight projects that you can accomplish, um, cleaning the car, clean the car again. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but get the satisfaction out of doing something that you can accomplish the end of, considering that here is this event that for the moment it's beyond your control and you need to kind of keep yourself safe from it. If you're on the periphery of it all together, then it's really very important to kind of be attending to your sense of well-being by not um, not just pushing your head into that danger every minute of the day, even though you do have to stay attentive to it. Yeah, and we've uh, thankfully gotten around some good community groups that were able to find a way to get a call to action to bring uh, food and uh, chapstick and things like that to the firefighters. You know, find some way that you can yeah. contribute to healing and resourcing. So if it's opening up your home, if you were that close to someone who uh, were without uh, shelter. Uh, it's the holidays. So even if you don't have resources and money and it's not your ideal Christmas or Hanukkah, opening up uh, your home just to give people some connection to things of meaning uh, during times of stress, um, people who were in, you know, much graver uh, disasters uh, still still tried to make connection um, to days of, of memory and, and, and symbol so uh, we should keep those traditions going if we can. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a big thing. Like uh, in times of stress, humans come together and and they should because another response of the stress response is to isolate ourselves. And, and this is not what we want to do in a time of like collective stress or where our whole community has been affected or even if we've been individually affected, we we don't want to isolate ourselves. It's a different part of the nervous system that says, oh, it's all too much and I should hide away. It's true. It's all too much. So you don't want to be like pushing into all the too muchness of it all the time. And we want to be around other people who are moving their heads and neck and smiling some and have some facial expression. And in their own way of being, they are saying, you're not in danger right now. Otherwise, we're just reinforcing this signal of danger. And we really, we want to have enough time away from it that our body can start to get those signals that say we can settle. Right, which increases your resiliency to be able to handle it when a real danger does approach again. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have, you're going to be spent if you're always responding to the danger that's not actively happening. So Twig, I could talk to you for hours, but I yes. want to know how liberationispossible.org. Tell us where our guests can reach you. How can they learn more from you and get a sense of what you've learned and reshift the cultural animation? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, my, my website, which showcases all my work, is liberationispossible.org. I do. I believe that liberation is possible. And there I have kind of two main functions. One is to provide public projects like the Stressless series or the Stories of Completion or Stories from Congo, kind of like cultural animation project. And then I also have a, a wide selection of work for somatic experiencing practitioners and other people who are uh, in the helping professions who are applying the psychobiology psychobiology of trauma to their work and so people can do sessions with you right via skype they can reach out and schedule do you do that you know i i actually have a uh i don't have a public clientele i work with practitioners so my primary work is consulting with helping practitioners who are then working with their clients 
Amazing. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, uh, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens, or Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me um, through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.